I want to say a few words about the prologue to Ralph Ellison's 1952 novel, Invisible Man. Uh, Invisible Man is arguably, if not uh, near universally understood, to be one of the, the greatest, if not the greatest, novel from the mid-century in the United States. It's an absolutely phenomenal piece that is both theoretically or philosophically compelling in terms of cultural politics, incredibly innovative and synthetic. He works so much with uh, motifs from jazz and black vernacular uh, culture generally. And it just has a, a sense of, of style and, and social commentary that makes it stand out uh, really among many excellent peers. It is Ellison's one great work uh, of his life. Uh, he, uh, as we talked about a little bit in class, he struggled in terms of his creative writing, uh, struggled with a lot of writer's block, but nevertheless produced a significant amount of nonfiction, critical essays, and also really interesting letters that uh, you can track down and uh, any sort of curiosity about Ralph Ellison, I think is always uh, worth pursuing. He's just such an interesting uh, writer and thinker. But Invisible Man is really his signature piece. I personally have a real affection for his nonfiction, but this novel uh, is indisputably his greatest work and his most significant contribution to how we think about African-American literature uh, and cultural studies. In our class conversation, we talked, uh, in terms of the assignment and, and, and discussion, we talked about the prologue to Invisible Man. That was the one assignment. It's a short piece, but it really gives you uh, a really clear sense of what the novel is like in terms of style, in terms of orientation, in terms of rhythm and pacing. Um, it's a, it's a, an amazing uh, theoretical piece all by itself. And I put it on uh, Black Existentialism syllabus because of this particular phrase, and this is the phrase that um, I want to start with and really sort of build on in the short comments uh, in this process piece. On page seven of the prologue, um, right at the end of the continuing paragraph at the top of the page, he writes, I myself, after existing some 20 years, did not become alive until I discovered my invisibility. End of quote. I really love that quotation, and, and it's part of what lands it for me in the uh, black existential tradition. That is, <clears throat> Ellison, Ellison really reverses a lot of our common associations, I think associations that uh, we would have in terms of our political and cultural commentary, uh, certainly in 2023, but I think for very much uh, uh, you know, the long history of civil rights struggle in this country, where the rhetoric, for good reason, and absolutely both defensible and necessary reasons, that rhetoric has been about visibility, about being seen, about being understood. I think, for example, of the famous 1968 placards carried by uh, the sanitation workers, worker uh, strikers in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, that simply said, I am a man. And the way this articulation of a demand, I am a man, was so powerful politically and rhetorically, and I think is it's interesting that that is one of the real icons in terms of our of our imagery when we think of the civil rights movement and what was at stake. That it really was about recognizing at bottom the humanity 
of African Americans. And part of what that humanity means in terms of demands is to be seen, to be visible, to be in that way understood, but also to not labor in anonymity. And the not laboring in anonymity and being visible, I think, continues to this day. Um, demands to be seen, right, and seen in particular ways, and real sensitivity, again, absolutely necessary, real sensitivity to the ways in which black Americans are made visible, right, visible, say, a victim of, of, of police murder will, you know, so often have his or her um, photograph circulated that shows them in a sort of menacing or ridiculous or, you know, in some way suggesting criminality portraiture, right? Whether it's a, it's a selfie taken for Instagram or if they had been, you know, arrested previously, a mugshot, these sorts of things. And so the struggle over visibility and kinds of visibility for African Americans has been absolutely central to the, the everydayness of, of justice struggle. And that is as it should be. I don't think anyone, uh, you know, who's not a racist, uh, anti-black racist, I don't think anyone would argue with that. But what I find interesting about this turn of phrase here, where Ellison says, you know, that after uh, some 20 years, he did not become alive until he discovered his invisibility. I find that so interesting because it picks up on this other question, which is if it's a broad question and one to which all sorts of thinkers have responded in their own way, and Ellison has his particular way of responding here, which is if African Americans have been invisible, not seen for who and, and what they are, Right, going all the way back in this course to Du Bois and Du Bois's, you know, uh, articulation of double consciousness as you know not being seen, being stuck behind the veil. You know, how do we characterize the life behind that veil, that life that is not fully visible or visible in its authenticity to an interracial space, right, to the shared space of our politics, society, and culture? What is that life that is invisible? like? What is it composed of? And what is its power? And that, for Ellison, is such an important shift because one of the things he really opposes in his work, and that Invisible Man is in some ways dedicated to certainly this prologue, is, the, is a refusal to make invisibility simply an object category or a deficient category that to have lived invisible makes you an, an object of, of, of disgust and revulsion or regret or sadness or melancholy. But instead ask just simply, what have African-Americans made in terms of life and world? What have African-Americans made out of invisibility? And this is why, in, in sort of responding to this question, um, I wanted to spend time talking about and listening to multiple times uh, Louis Armstrong's song uh, Black and Blue. Now, of course, that's a centerpiece of the prologue, so that's not simply my, you know, my invention or, or my interest. It's absolutely, you know, in the text and structures the prologue and arguably structures the entirety of the novel. But I wanted us to listen to that because it Ellison's reflections help us hear Armstrong in important ways, you know, to frame that listening, to get us to listen to certain things in the same way that hearing 
those things in Armstrong's music helps us go back and look at the literary piece differently. And just in that way, to see how both uh, both how they inform each other and how we as readers and co-thinkers as we read and think through these ideas can um, deepen our understanding and appreciation of both through that comparative and relational study, right? Listening and reading at the same time. Listening, then rereading. Rereading, then listening again. And that back and forth. And that's why it was so important in class for us to, to walk through that sound, right? Especially that opening trumpet. And anyone can, you know, go on, on YouTube or any musical streaming service and listen to various versions that Louis Armstrong plays of it. I think that the earlier versions... Uh, are are the best. I mean, they just have an intensity about them um, that comes from the first recording or first couple of recordings. Um, but really, uh, Armstrong is just such a genius that whatever recording, whatever version is absolutely worth it. But what is so important about that hearing Armstrong correctly or, or letting Armstrong um, inform our sense of reading and let our sense of reading of Ellison inform our listening to Armstrong is the way that invisibility plays out in music, right? Both in terms of rhythm and in terms of whatever we would want to call the melody of the trumpet. But the melody of the trumpet is not this flow in which, you know, catching a sort of repetition or ease or symmetry of flow is our key, but rather the opposite to understand the asymmetry of its flow, of its breaks and cracks and fissures. That the breaks, cracks and fissures in the song and the way both the rhythms and most importantly the trumpet play in and along and also create those cracks and breaks and fissures. That is exactly where invisibility is understood or er, 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 where invisibility is manifest in sound. You know, where is, where is invisibility in the social and political world? Well, the social political world, invisibility is a lack of recognition at the level of, of, of rights and belonging and access to public and private goods. But in terms of music, right, that invisibility is about uh, pauses and silences and hesitations. And what's so profound about Armstrong's playing is the way those, it's not that he uh, simply responds to those cracks and fissures and absences and silence, and it's also not simply that he creates them, but rather that he does both. And in that way, embodies musically, right, embodies in sound, hourly, right, we hear the ideas articulated in Invisible Man's prologue where what invisibility gives to life is the expressiveness that Armstrong has in relation to the silences, absences, and moments of, of, of audio invisibility in his own playing. That it's not something he tries to play over or get rid of. Right? That's the politics of, of civil rights and civil rights struggle, which is ongoing, but you know most emphatic in the decades that followed Armstrong and the decades that followed the publication of, um, of Invisible Man you know, and, and Armstrong's recordings. And so when I think then about, about the, the articulation of how sound right, is 
garnering or, or connecting in such important ways uh, this, this sense of invisibility, it brings you back to the text to ask, right, this question that I posed before. What is life in invisibility? Not what will life be when we, you know, meaning speaking in Ellison's voice as African Americans, when we are visible, when we are fully seen for who and what we are. You know, that's one question. But the other question is, what has life been? under these conditions of invisibility. And the argument of Invisible Man as a novel, as a whole, but certainly for, um, for the prologue, right, is that this sense of invisibility has not blocked, but rather has been a condition or a context or a milieu for beauty, for connection, for expression of the deepest uh, feelings, affects, desires, yearnings, mournings, melancholia, sadness, joy, pleasure, happiness, that whole range of human emotions, right? The emotions that populate worlds and communities, that all of that is made in the context of invisibility, but made in, entwined with it. And we see this in the, the, in the uh, uh, this passage that I want to read. And this is on page eight of the prologue. He says, I'd like to hear five recordings of Louis Armstrong playing and singing What Did I Do to Be So Black and Blue, all at the same time. Sometimes now I listen to Louis while I have my favorite dessert of vanilla ice cream and slow gin. I pour the red liquid over the white mound, watching it glisten and the vapor rising as Louis bends the military instrument into a beam of lyrical sound. Perhaps I like Louis Armstrong because he's made poetry. This is a key part for me. He's made poetry out of being invisible. Once I asked for a cigarette, some jokers gave me a reefer, which I lighted when I got home and sat listening to my phonograph. It was a strange evening. Invisibility, let me explain, gives one a slightly different sense of time. So this is where, where invisibility is starting to play out as a productive rather than simply abject category. Right? Invisibility gives one a slightly different sense of time. You're never quite on the beat. Sometimes you're ahead and sometimes behind. Instead of the swift and imperceptible flowing of time, you are aware of its nodes those points where time stands still or from which it leaps ahead, and you slip into the breaks and look around. That's what you hear vaguely in Lewis's music, end of quote. And I really, uh, there's so many things that I love about this, this paragraph, or it's even just a half of a paragraph. Uh, I will say that in terms of my own work, this is uh, by far the most influential set of sentences I've ever read. And it really, for me, focuses on, as the last bit I'll say, this idea of making poetry out of being invisible. Because on the one hand, you may say, well, what he means by poetry is simply to make something charming and alluring and something that draws us into its sound and its words. And that's absolutely true. There's no doubt that that's what he means here by poetry. But there's this other element of poetry which is connected to its root word, poesis, right? Which is this idea of bringing into being, right? That you bring a world into being with poetry, with words. That words aren't simply decorative, 
but words are rather world-making. And that learning in that way to speak and to express one's own world, right, one's own experience of the world, when it becomes the sound and the words of a community, of a people, a whole world is created that is, um, that is beautiful, right? That's full of breaks, that's full of, 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 of alternative flows of time and all of these, these figures in the passage. But the key is that those fissures and breaks and silences and invisibilities are for Ellison not conditions of abjection, but rather the context in which African Americans have made something beautiful, have made something communal, have made something that is expressive of us as a people, us meaning African Americans speaking in his voice. And so that idea of making a world out of, of invisibility is not simply survival, it's my last note, is not simply survival, that Ellison wants to get away from this idea that African Americans have simply survived invisibility by making music or poetry that helps them get by. That would be to weigh undersell the function of, in this case, Armstrong's music or blues and jazz or poetry generally, right? giving words for life, giving words for particular kinds of experiences. It would sell all of that short and in some ways insult it because poetry, thought broadly here in terms of music and lyrics and, and singing and speech and words, that poetry's capacity here is to both express and in, through expression bring into bold, visible being to those who are invisible an entire world in which one doesn't merely survive, but rather one thrives and rather one reproduces and expands and enhances and deepens across generations. So we have to understand then that blues and jazz music from the perspective of 2023 were expressions of a world that then generated other, all these other musical forms, you know, soul music, uh, rhythm and blues, all the way up through hip hop and all of the hybrids of those, all of the ways of going back, but also moving forward. And when we think of these things this way, Right? We see how when you bring a world into being, it's capable of producing and reproducing itself. That's the function of poetry. That's the meaning of poiesis. And that's how invisibility gave Invisible Man, gave Ellison the author and the writer, gave Louis Armstrong the artist, a capacity to not just survive, but in the fullest and richest and deepest sense, gave them the possibility to live.